electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the most critical stretch of the year for stocks. 13 trading days that will likely hold the key to where your money heads from here. And our investment committee debates all that's at stake. Joining me for the hour, Jason Snipe, Shannon Sakosha, right here at Post 9. I've got Joe Terranova, Surat Sethi. We're going to get to all of that, of course. We've got a very big day shaping up for that company right there. The stock of Apple. Highs of the day, better than 3%. That, as Goldman Sachs initiates the stock at a buy. Why is that so significant? Well, only because... The stock hasn't had a buy on Apple since 2017. They've either had a hold or a sell. The stock's only up 300% in that period of time. But Joe Terranova, I turn to you because you look at what's happened in Apple over the past couple of trading days. It's, it's up 6% in the past three trading days. And you say that this is a new signal in the market. A green light? It's a contributing signal for, for sure. Uh, first of all, on Goldman Sachs, let's remember Rod Hall covered gold, uh, Apple for five years, suspended coverage in September. You've got a fresh voice now looking at the stock, reversing either the neutral sell signals that Goldman Sachs had the last five years. But I think what's going on currently with Apple is that it's trying to restore its positive momentum. I said last week, the fundamentals were never in question for this company. It was all about the momentum, 155 to 160, that's the level in which the green light switches on for Apple. And it really contributes to a larger context of the last several days in which you have these technical forces that are pushing up against fundamental forces. I think you look at fundamental, Scott, and people observe them and they think, well, that's kind of bearish for risk assets. Mm -hmm. Technically, within the last 72 hours for the markets, You've seen a reversal, a reversal that needs to be paid attention to, and it's significant because it's happening specifically in large cap growth. Look at small caps today. Small caps are struggling while large cap, uh, large cap growth large is, what? Let's, let's skip over that, large, large cap what? growth is moving higher. So if you're in the position <laughs> such as I, yep. in which you are not allocated in the direction of high beta, large cap growth, guess how you feel as that goes up? You feel as if you're short. You literally feel as though your positioning in your book is short, and it calls uh, calls to a point of action. All right. So, uh, Surat, which you, you own Apple as well, uh, does this point to some sort of, you know, maybe this is the sentiment shift over the last few days that is reflected in the way that Apple has performed? I mean, the stock was at 145. Now it's at 155. And, you know, maybe this is one of those moments you look back to and you say, OK, new, new analyst at Goldman and they finally get on the train. Yeah. Whereas they've been run over before. I, I think that is a big part of it. I think the other part of it is while sentiment might be improving, we still have to focus on fundamentals for this market. And with interest rates with the way they are and, and what we think is probably not going lower, 
fundamentals and earnings are going to matter. And, and stocks like Apple that can thrive and increase earnings will do well, but valuation is going to matter. It is a good signal for momentum and for, for stock movement for the stock market. But I do think once we get through this, we're going to focus back on earnings and we're going to focus on what macro is going to do to the overall market. Okay, see, I guess that's exactly what Marco Kalanovic over at JP Morgan is saying, who just as I was sitting down, drops this note, okay? Which says, one strong day, I'm, I'm quoting right from the top of the note, one strong day or weak in risk markets does not change our negative outlook that is predicated on weakening macro fundamentals. It's basically what you're saying. Right. And again, you, can, you can't really have an island, you know, a port in the storm here because there's so much on Apple. I mean, yes, consumer, the services can go up, but what is that telling you about the consumer? What is that telling you about end demand, not just for Apple, but for chips and other things that are going to happen? So I think while you can... You can be safer in Apple. I think the overall market's going to determine, overall fundamentals going to determine where the market goes. I mean, Shannon, if you look at, you know, even the, the price action of late that bounced off the 200-day moving average for the S&P 500 was so significant in some circles, including Mike Wilson's, okay, over at Morgan Stanley, who says equity markets survived a critical test of support last week that suggests this bear market rally is not ready to end just yet. I mean, there was a feel last week that, uh-oh, you know, when we got a touch below the 200-day moving average, that anything was possible. You, you had notes come out and say, well, we, we're going back to the October lows. We're going to retest that. This was nothing more than hope and a dream and a prayer, and it's all going to reverse itself. Mike Wilson says, you know what? I don't know. That bounce was pretty good from a technical perspective, and maybe it portends we're not done just yet with this move higher. And I mean, that's that's probably a very short term view, right, that that Mike's talking about, because we have a couple of things, um, namely inflation numbers and the Fed ahead of us that could certainly upset that narrative. But I think what I would look at, Scott, is that going back to something that Surat said about earnings, um, we're essentially done here with S&P 500 earnings. And if you look at um, the uh, disappointment, if you will, um, it came through. Um, you know, we had that earnings decline that we were anticipating for the fourth quarter. We have seen significant uh, decreases in earnings expectations for this year. In fact, way beyond anything we've experienced, 5, 10, 20-year averages, if you look at facts that um, and their numbers. So I think that one of the things that we need to think about is, are we just at a point where there's a little less uncertainty just behind us, given that we've been through earnings season? And this next couple of weeks, we could start to see some momentum. We've got a jobs number on Friday, Scott. I, I would, I'm sure you're not going to beg to differ with me that it's probably not going to be as strong as what we saw last month. And, and that's probably mm -hmm. a good sign. So I think we are getting some technical support for this, but I also think that we're moving some of the uncertainty into the rearview mirror. And this next couple of weeks, we don't have as much to be concerned about on a day-to-day -day basis because we're not getting those huge, disappointing reports from retailers, for instance. I just go back, Jason, to the fact that, you know, if you, if you go back to the significance of Apple, the way that people were offsides to start the year, it was let's ride the 2022 playbook into 2023 because of all of the uncertainty that still exists. And it's, it's been anything but. I mean, you know, energy, which was last year's leader, has been a significant laggard to some of the other areas, where it, whether it's discretionary or communication services or technology, for that matter, which has surprised a lot of people. But what do you think of, I think you own Apple as well. 
right? So the significance of the move and what it means to the broader market is you have even some of the bears trying to get a, you know, incrementally more positive. The Mike Wilson call, by the way, is that you could go to 4150. You get 90 to 100 points more out of the S&P. That's not insignificant at all. Yeah, I think I think the call on Apple today, and I think Joe made the point uh, at the top. You know, it's a refreshing thought, right? There, there's a new analyst covering the name, um, and the focus really is not necessarily on hardware. I mean, there's been a slower refresh uh, to folks buying on the on the new cycle, but the base, the install base, 1.1 billion. Uh, users of iPhones across the globe. I mean, this is a significant number. So I think the services opportunity, the cross-sale opportunities, such and subscriptions, you know, such as Apple Plus, I think is an opportunity here. But I think I think the big one for me is is the sentiment called folks are just feeling a little bit better about the market. Uh, the street is obviously there's some resiliency. We talk about resiliency all the time for the consumer, but you know, the en- enterprise is also doing. Uh, relatively well. So I think that that's what this call is is telling me. And, and it, obviously, uh, tech has done very well. I mean, tech is up 14 percent. Apple's up uh, 19 percent. And it, it mm-hmm. still trades at a premium to the market. Single digit earnings growth. Uh, but but I, I, I do think I, I don't know about 36 percent upside from here. Uh, from a mega cap tech perspective, I think that, that there are other names in their arena that that, um, you know, could could see some opportunity. But yeah, I think this is just a sentiment call for me. I feel like, Joe, you, you got a couple of if you can't beat them, join them moves because you're one of those <laughs> who didn't expect, like most, that you'd have the leadership to this point of this year that, that you do and all that you thought would be leading is, is lagging. I, I, I say that because you bought Twilio again, okay? You're long the queues. Now, I know that's not how you came into this year. Think You did not come into this year thinking, I'm going to buy Twilio in March. Okay. There's no way. First of all, the last time I bought the Qs was in August. The last time I bought Twilio was in 2019. Uh, in the case of Twilio, this will be a much longer-term holding. The point has come where I needed to accept a little bit more beta within the portfolio. Coming off earnings, I like the fact that Jeff Lawson went in, purchased $10 million worth of stock in this company. Other members of the management team have done the same. The stock has broken out above its 200-day moving average. In the case of the QQQ, as I said before, you feel as though when you're managing a book and you're actually trading in the market that you're short. When you see the sectors or the strategies within the market going higher that you don't own, you feel as though that you are short. So this game is not about ego, Scott. This game is about making money. This game is not about how many times can I be right. This game is about managing your risk. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm managing the risk and establishing a position in the queues, which will be shorter term in its nature. Mm -hmm. For the viewers that are following along, you could risk to Friday's low, which is below uh, 294. You could risk to that level. It's a low risk point of reference to potentially ride a little bit of what I would call repositioning within the market that maybe is not reflective of the fundamental view of the strategist. Yeah. I want to see the intraday of Twilio, please, um, which, by the way, is up 64% in three months. Doesn't mean it can't go up another 20 or 30%. No, but you, about- okay, but you have to assume then that we are in the kind of market where momentum-type stocks are going to do well for an extended period of time, that, that no. this is not a flash-in-the-pan move. No, I, I disagree with that. I think what I have to assume 
is that I've seen enough in terms of discounting the effect of rising rates on this specific company, not the entirety of high beta, which I want to stay away from, but on this specific company, I've seen enough on the effect of fundamentals. I've seen the efforts of management in terms of focusing on cost efficiency. Unfortunately, they are reducing headcount. And it seems as though to me, this stock has more upside potential than it does downside potential for a long-term investment. And Scott, that's what this is going to be for me and Twilio. Okay, then, I, then look, I, I know you can't talk about what you will ultimately do within the Joe T, but I think one can surmise if one mirrors the other that they should, people should stay tuned at the end of the quarter to figure out exactly whether this is going to be in your actively managed growth uh, and momentum uh, ETF as, as well. So that's one move uh, that I wanted to talk about. But I want to get back to Surratt the next 13 days, arguably the most critical of the year, just given what lies ahead. Let's show you, refresh your memories just in case. Like Powell tomorrow, by the way. Powell is on the Hill tomorrow, right, with his semi-annual in front of of Congress, which we're going to be covering. I do want to note as well that the Dow's at the highs of the day up 152. Merck is an interesting story within the market today, and and that's maybe leading to some of the upside as well. Just to let you all know, we flashed something at the bottom of the screen that there was some experimental new data regarding uh, experimental uh, cholesterol drug, and there was some positive data around that. So Merck has moved to the highs of the day also. You had Apple at the highs of the day. Dow's pretty much at the highs of the day. That just brings us to all that lies ahead. It's Powell tomorrow. It's the jobs report Friday. It's CPI on the 14th. It's the Fed decision on March 22nd. There's your Merck chart. Uh, just so we're all on the same page uh, following that news as it develops uh, throughout the day. Um, But Surratt, I mean, 13 days. Yeah. Critical. We went from a January where we were going, you know, disinflation, things were coming, we're going to be better, to a February where it was hot, hot, hot. And now we're going to actually see what is the trend on these numbers. And I think to your point, the next 13 days and the amount of data we're getting in, including employment, PPI, CPI, and what is the Fed going to say? Is this going to be higher for longer? Are they going to even say anything about 50 versus 25? The market today in the last couple of days is kind of saying, hey, maybe things are going to get better in terms of inflation. But if the numbers, if we are off sides on this, you could see all that momentum, all that air coming right out of the market, because this is a momentum driven rally saying that we think rates are going to go down. And that's why you want the long duration stocks to do well. So I'd be careful here. Joe and I have been kind of defensive uh, and I still would be careful to chase this. But you can in the short term, like what Mike Wilson says, he's not saying anything different. But the next couple of weeks will really tell us where the direction of the market's going to be. I mean, starting tomorrow, Steve Leisman, our senior economics reporter, is with us, too. You know, maybe Powell's going to dump, uh, you know, the Gatorade thing, but it's going to have a lot of ice water on on investors, uh, Steve, this notion of even higher for even longer. We've long said that the Fed chair's voice is the one that really matters the most, if not at all, among a flurry of Fed speakers over the last couple of weeks. What do you think we get tomorrow? I think, Scott, tell me if I'm wrong here. You only dump the Gatorade when you win the game, right? And I don't think Powell's anywhere near winning the game. Um, I, I think he sits before Congress tomorrow a year into the most aggressive Fed tightening in a generation, and he doesn't have that much to show for it. He's got to get there and say, you know what? Inflation's not under control yet. Uh, we don't have it moving necessarily in the uh, down to- confidently down towards the 2% target. 
Um, and I don't have the economy slowing, which is what he's trying to do. Um, I think what he does, Scott, is he has to at very least affirm the new market pricing out there, which shows the peak rate at 545. And he may uh, try to nudge a little bit further. I guess you might want to call it opportunistic disinflationary jawboning. He might try to get you to do a little bit more. What he's going to strive not to do is give the doves anything to trade on. I think there was a, a sense perhaps at the last press conference he said disinflation too many times and the market kind of seized on that. I think he's going to try to get away with that. And if you look on the right side of your chart there, Scott, you see a little bit of um, uh, a cutting built in. And that extends into next year where there's about 120 basis points of cuts built in. So to the extent that he's going to say we're going to be higher for longer, he's going to perhaps go and attack that uh, uh, cutting that's built into next year as well. You've had comments from guys like Bostic who have said that we expect to maintain a, a high level in the 2024. So all that could be part of it. And meanwhile, he will maintain some flexibility in case the data that you spoke about, the jobs report Friday, the CPI report the next week, ends up breaking in his favor. I just wonder if, if maybe he doesn't care about the stock market as much as some people think. I, I say that after a week in which David Einhorn was on with us and, and suggested, I mean, the Fed wants the market to go lower. And in his mind, the, the market was cooperating. On the other hand, you did have a Fed chair who had every reason and opportunity in the last meeting and news conference to hit on the idea of financial conditions being loose. And he didn't. He's not naive. He knows that if he you know, lays off like that, the market's going to run. He could have crashed it down or stomped it down. He didn't. No, but the, the recent um, uh, monetary policy report to Congress did note that financial conditions are tighter. Um, and for sure, he wants financial conditions to be tighter, given where the CPI is. Um, I don't know if that was part of the mistake, Scott. Maybe you've, you've pointed out that he should indeed have um, uh, talked about the uh, leaned against looser financial conditions, but right now they are tighter. If you look at that, guys, I don't know if you have in the back that January 2024 uh, Fed funds contract, Scott. We are up 100 basis points on that. That is quite a move that we've had since February 1. So I think he's going to welcome that and he's going to uh, uh, try to try to push it a little bit further. All right. Well, I guess we're going to find out soon enough uh, tomorrow when he gives this testimony. Steve, I appreciate it. That's Steve Leisman, uh, our senior economics sure. reporter, joining us. Uh, Shan, you know, tomorrow starts it all, I suppose. The, the 13 trading days that are going to decide it all, at least for the, you know, the course of where we're heading over the next maybe handful of months. Are you, you know, bracing for something unexpected? say bracing, Scott. I mean, I do think that the narrative or Powell's narrative is going to be increasingly important. You talked about his opportunity to um, adjust expectations around financial conditions. The other thing that he mentioned um, during the last meeting was that it was gratifying uh, to see the employment market hold up amongst all of the interest rate hikes. And so that, I think, was the, that was perceived by the market that the Fed is a little less worried about jobs as long as we continue to see this disinflationary trend. So um, I'm putting a lot of emphasis on, you know, this upcoming jobs report because 
not because I'm really as interested in the number per se, but really how, how Powell may react to that, may telegraph that this week, and then may react to that during the meeting. Because one of the challenges is we keep going back to the idea of higher wages being the problem, this labor issue being the problem. And if the Fed continues to discount that, stating that we could have a soft landing on the employment side, um, I think that's you're going to get some more of this dovish sentiment, which could push this rally and give it a little bit more momentum. Yeah, well, Jason, Chris Harvey of Wells Fargo is, is a believer. We'll wrap up our first segment with do not trade as if we're in a bear market because we are not. The recent reset of Fed funds expectations helped create the setup for the bounce from Thursday's intraday S&P low. That was 39.28. Remember, the 200-day moving average was 39.40. So we dipped below and we significantly bounced and we're still bouncing. And he says the bounce has room. So why don't you opine on that? Yeah, Scott, and I think we talked about it earlier, just folks being off sides or on the other end of the trade for the beginning of this year and what growth has done. And I'm not, I'm not a technical analysis, but I understand movement there and I understand price action. So I think I, I think there's a part of that that is true. And I think this this move in the market continues to have legs. I think even with the commentary we'll see from the Fed this week and and, and, and Powell, um, you know, I don't think there'll be any surprises here. I think they'll remain data dependent, talk about being tactical and, and follow the info as, as they move forward. And I think that, um, you know, numbers will trend back. I mean, we're still in seventh month uh, deceleration, you know, as it relates to the CPI and PPI. And, and even, you know, we saw a little bump in the PCE. But I think, you know, even though the numbers were warm in February, um, mm-hmm. I do think mm-hmm. they could potentially they will potentially move lower. And I think that will give the, the market some legs here. All right, Joe, just wrap it up for me. We are uh, highs of the day. Bond yields have largely been cooperating, right? That was a significant story last week, too. Bond yields kept inching up. The S&P kept inching down, right? S&P bounced. Bond yields backed off. The two-year, I just noticed, was moving higher again, but not not at the levels that we were a week ago. Yeah, I, I think that sometimes what's important is not asking why, but asking what is going on in the market, and that's going to lead you to react properly. If I were to sit here and kind of analyze the price action of the last couple of days, I'd be sitting on my hands. I'd basically be short because I'm not long the areas of the market that's rallying. So I'm going to take the emotion out of it, rely on the market to guide me, and worst case scenario, I'm wrong. Well, you are trying to get a little longer on the areas of the market that are performing, right? Managing, that, uh, managing that, the book, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the cues, yeah. making the position in the cues, and, and Twilio is, I think, speaks volumes. Let's do this. Let's take a break. Up next, our chart of the day. Boy, Nat Gas today, you see that? Down like 12%. The commodity having its worst day since January, weighing on the broader energy space today. And we do have ownership and stocks that our committee has recommended to you over the last six or so months. We'll debate that next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, 
drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. get to our chart of the day now. It is natural gas down more than 14% on pace for the worst day since January 30th. We note it because we do have significant ownership here in the committee in energy. Surat, I'm going to go to you first, okay? Pioneer, EOG, Apache, Chevron, those are yours. Those are mine. And look, one of the theses of buying these companies was they're not going to increase production, they're going to increase cash flow, and you want to be diversified with oil and gas, with oil as part of it. Look, gas had some negative issues with it. We had a really warm winter globally. But I, I still like these companies. Look at the balance sheets on these companies. Look at the special dividends that Pioneer does, NeoEG does. So in the short term, um, you know, while cash is coming out and people are moving to the momentum stocks, I, I still have a core position in there. I'm a little overweight to the market. And if, if they keep on coming back down, I will add more positions. So you still, you're not giving up on the, the 2022 way to make money in this market? No, absolutely not. I, these are cheap stocks on a cash flow basis. Their management has a lot of discipline. And I do think we're going to be short this commodity for a long time. We don't have enough production. And we've just had a very warm winter globally. So that has really hurt some of these stocks. Okay. Uh, I noticed EQT was moving today. And you, I know, owned it. You don't anymore, right? Nope. Let's show EQT. Thankfully, down 3%. And, th and that's where the benefit of placing a stop order in to manage your risk is going to help you. It stopped out of the stock uh, at around $40. Stephen Weiss did the same. Yeah, I know. Yep. Steve, Steve got out of this as well. And clearly, it's been weather. It's been weather here in the U.S., weather in Europe that's lent itself favorably to lower prices for natural gas. What's remarkable is if I go out over the next 20 months of natural gas future contracts, there's only two months being the winter of 2024 that are above $4. So what does that signal to me? That signals to me that natural gas is probably going to be in a range. It's going to be a range between $2 and $4. The upside's capped by the fundamentals, the strong supply. The downside is capped by the disincentive to grow production as price moves lower. Remember, lower prices cures lower prices. What do, what do I want to do if I'm invested in this space thinking that these stocks that worked last year were going to continue to work this year? I think you have to Just kind sit. of... No, well, I think you have to lean a little bit in the direction of where Surratt is invested, and that's being more oily than gassy. The XLE last week declined to its 200-day moving average a little bit below 83. It held perfectly. It's trading 87 right now. So I think the opportunity, the fundamental confidence that you could uh, gain right now from looking at these stocks is more in oil. Yep. Shannon, you own Nextera, Valero, and EOG. 
Yeah, this is a uh, energy has always been a smaller part of the portfolio, and Scott, you know that that was painful the last couple of years. Um, I think there's a another a flip side to this, though, in that if you're looking at the strength of the overall market and potential opportunities, particularly in Europe, um, you know this this decline in natural gas prices is really good from an inflationary perspective, and if the Fed still continues to focus on consumers whose basket is made up of food, shelter, and energy, and you see declines in prices like this, even if they're shorter term in nature based on longer term supply concerns, I'd say from an overall market perspective, this could be a little bit of a lift. All right, coming up, we're going to talk about how to play the move in bond yields today. That is ahead in today's ETF Edge. But first, as we head to break, a message from UPS CEO Carol Tomei as CNBC celebrates women's heritage. 100 years ago, UPS hired its first woman into our company. That trailblazer's name was Jessie Bell, and she worked as a clerk stenographer in Los Angeles. Today, Jessie's legacy is thriving, with women playing a critical role at every level of our workforce. And I'm honored to be the first woman to serve as our CEO. Today, one-third of our C-suite is comprised of women, and 46% of our board of directors is made up by women. But it doesn't stop there. Beyond our walls, we've provided resources and training to more than 100,000 women and small business owners, helping them expand their reach and achieve their goals. Shattering glass, that's a reason to celebrate. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime. I'm Bertha Coombs, and this is what's happening at this hour in your CNBC News update. The FBI is asking for help and offering a $50,000 reward after four Americans were kidnapped at gunpoint after crossing into Mexico near Brownsville, Texas. The U.S. State Department warns Americans they shouldn't travel in that area of Mexico because criminal groups target cars and buses, often taking passengers and demanding ransom payments. Iran's supreme leader says today that poisoning girls in schools is an unforgivable crime that should be punished by death. Over 1,000 girls have reportedly been sickened by suspected poisoning since November, with some getting treatment in hospitals. Some Iranian politicians are blaming religious extremists who don't want young women to receive an education. And the U.S. Supreme Court has declined to hear an appeal from a city in Florida that wanted to make it harder for plaintiffs to sue a government entity for endorsing religion. The case involved a dispute over a prayer vigil held by uniformed police officers. Scott, back over to you. All right, Bertha, thank you, Bertha Coombs. Now to Bob Pisani with today's ETF Edge. Hey, Bob. Hey, Scotty, two-year Treasury yields got right up against a 5% yield last week, the highest since 2007. Everyone baffled about what to do about the stock market this year is talking about buying short maturity Treasuries. Why try to figure out the stock market when you get almost 5% for two years risk-free? So let's talk to a recipient of all that interest, 
Joanna Galagos is the co-founder of Bondblocks, which runs a suite of ETFs that enable investors to invest in U.S. Treasuries. Joanna, we've seen big inflows into your ETFs, into short-term Treasury ETFs. Bonds are back, but should investors really start considering increasing their allocation to bonds? Remember last year at this time, 60-40 stock bond, dead. Now it's back. Yeah. And the reason bonds are back is because yields are back. There was a tremendous shift in yields last year that was historic. So yields by the end of the year went up um, by 425 basis points on, on, on the Fed fund rate. That is just a huge shift. So what it means for everyday portfolios and everyday investors is that cash needs to be addressed. The things that are on the sidelines, anything that people haven't been allocating towards the U.S. Treasury space, they should now consider doing that. And we see that although bonds are back, investors aren't taking action and they're not reallocating. So what's actionable in bonds right now? Yeah. We've been talking about the inflows into the short-term treasuries. Yeah. You've been a beneficiary of that. But what about something else? What about corporate treasuries? What about high yield, for example? Is there any place or should we forget about it? High yield's really interesting because there's sort of it's sort of misrepresented in terms of its risk. So definitely in terms of its risk relative to equities. Um, but high yield, if we think about it, these issuers, there are some sectors in high yield that have really healthy cash flows right now. Think about energy, think about fi financial sectors. And the thing is, is during the pandemic, these same issuers had a chance to refinance their debt. So their balance sheets are pretty strong and the, the, the yields in high yield are really compelling. This is not following the usual down, downturn scenario for high yield at all. So no. that's what's leaving people so confused. Yeah, the economic data is confusing. There's strength still in the consumer. There's strength still in the jobs market. Um, there's been strength, relative strength in earnings, again, by sector, by different type of product, different type of industry. But the, the, the spreads, the difference between the risk-free rate and some of these rates in corporates have not widened to the places that they widened to in the GFC or pre-pandemic. They're still relatively moderately increase from last year. So it's, it's a different type of um, environment and doesn't look as distressed. And a tough one to figure out. Now, we're going to have a lot more on investing in bond ETFs. That's going to be coming up on ETF Edge at 1.10 p.m. Eastern time. You're going to hear more from Joanna about why high yield should be reconsidered, how they have it in their ETFs. She's going to be joined by Kim Arthur of Maine Capital. That's ETFedge.cnbc. Com. Scott, back to you. All right, Bob. Thank you very much. Bob Pisani. Straight ahead, Jason Snipe making some new moves in his portfolio. Boy, getting out of a name, a big name, too. We're going to tell you about that. Uh, we'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Uh, Jason Snipe, I mentioned you have a move. Uh, it's a big one for you. You sold Home Depot. Why did you do that? I did. Yep, I did. And, it, you know, I'm looking at the housing backdrop. It's, it's not really positive going forward. And for me, you know, as I also looking at interest rates starting to creep up, looking at a 30 year around 7%. Um, and for me, the, the, big, the big investment in labor. You know, a billion dollar of investment in labor going forward, I think, is going to have a marginal impact, obviously, on margins. And for me, it was just time to unload the name and, and look to put that capital elsewhere. Yeah, but well, I mean, you still own Lowe's, though, right? I do. I do. I, so and we have a small position in one? Lowe's. Yeah. And, and for me, the, the big point was the investment that they're making, you know, in, in labor and, and the margin uh, impact it will have. 
you know, for them going forward. I think Lowe's has got a little bit of a different play. They have, they're, they're growing their pro segment. Their pro segment was up 10 percent, you know, this past quarter. And I think operationally, there's just a little bit more opportunity with Lowe's. So we, we decided to keep the small position there. Okay. Uh, by the way, uh, oh, you bought Arista Networks, too. Just give me something on that. I want to do something else on housing real quick. But Arista Networks, why would you buy that? Great company. I did. So, Scott, there's very few triple plays in, in the market these days. And, and for the viewers, that's a, uh, a beat on the top and the bottom line and a raise in the guidance. And they've done that 10 of the last 11 quarters. They have a real focus on enterprise, not, not necessarily the consumer here. Um, one of their major suppliers are Microsoft. They do business with Meta as well. 55% revenue growth in the last quarter, 72% EPS growth. And roughly about 25% EPS growth going forward. So we really like this name. It's been under review for some time, and we decided to add it. All right. Uh, you own it, Joey, and the uh, Joe T, so right? This is a great company. This is a company that's uh, been in there since January of 2021. It's a company that's impervious to rate hikes. It's a company that pays down their debt, overall debt, 3% of annual cash flow. Last year, they reduced their debt by 20%. Uh, Jason's highlighting the strong revenue growth on the quarter. It's revenue growth that you could see pulling the lens back over the last three years, 23% revenue growth. This is just a phenomenal technology holding. I, I said I wanted to circle back to housing because you had a couple of calls today, and I wanted your take, Joe. So KBH got, got double downgraded to underweight uh, from overweight, uh, and that's a J.P. Morgan. But D.R. Horton got downgraded, too. I bring it up because it's in the Joe T. Yep, still, still in there. Um, liquidated Lennar in the prior quarter. Obviously, that looks good. The holding of D.R. Horton does not look so good right now. Both of those home builders were in the portfolio because of the strength of fundamentals. The momentum is clearly waning, uh, certainly in the case of D.R. Horton more recently. Uh, and, you know, it'll be up for review at the end of April. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Mike Santoli on the other side with his midday word and still ahead. Grade my trade. Email us. Ask halftime at CNBC.com. You can tweet us, of course, at grade my trade. Uh, use the hashtag. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli with his midday word uh, sitting to my right here. So Mike Wilson, right, Mr. Negative, I sure. uh, was like, well, that was a pretty good bounce off of the 200-day moving average, so we could go a little bit more. Yeah. Marco Kalanovic, as we sat down, said one strong day or week doesn't change the negative outlook. Right. So it's about uh, the sequencing of when the macro might have, uh, have a pull on the market from Marco's point of view and from Mike's point of view, actually. So, look, we, we've had the market prove that it's of a different character to 2022, at least in terms of getting into and staying into uh, an uptrend and responding to some of these support levels. It doesn't clinch the deal. Today looks like follow through to the upside, but really it's different. It's This is Apple blindness here. Yes, so it's Apple's a lot of Apple. things, the equal weighted S&P's down, Russell's down, cyclicals are coming off. That's different than how we got to this point this year. So I, I do think there's always this risk that, um, you know, the more oxygen Apple uses, the net worse it is for the rest of the market. I don't believe Apple's a bellwether, never have. Mm -hmm. And the kind of market where Apple rips to 200, uh, I don't think is the kind that the rest of the market can handle that. I felt like Joe gave us something really interesting off the top of the, the show today, kind of representative of, of where we are. Guy who didn't come into the year thinking that, you know, tech or growth was going to be the leadership. Right. Ends up today buying, or the other day, buying Twilio. 
and going along the queues and saying, man, I, I hope, <laughs> I hope these aren't the stocks that are going to continue well, to go yeah, up because exactly, I'm going to, yeah. I'm wrong with my positioning in my book. I feel sure. Short. I, I get it. Um, now, I don't know that the queues as a group look great. It's, it's been very hit or miss within it, right? Uh, but in terms of upside insurance, <laughs> in a sense, that's, it still serves that purpose. So Perfectly I think that stated because that's in fact what it is. I will say this, though. The, what's going on with the Russell today is interesting because intraday it's kind of overwhelming the strong performance in the NASDAQ and kind of taking the market down somewhat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you have to pay attention. So there's to that. some give back to what we got yeah. up at the end of last week. I mean, to your point, the equal weighted is down, right? Yeah. So you're seeing the heavyweights carry the market. Yeah. And this is momentum. But for today. Right. For today. And this is the active versus passive, right? right. You, buy, you buy the QQQ, you buy the index, you're buying Apple, you get retail investors buying it. Let's just see the follow through because yeah. I do think the information, the data we're getting in the next couple of weeks is going to drive. Well, the thing is, though, today is an anomaly based on what we've seen since October because cyclicals have ripped. That's the part of the market that has really stolen the show, even mm-hmm. though it doesn't get noticed as much because uh, the, the growth stuff dominates the index. Krinsky, um, by the way, who's going to be on Closing Bell with me later, says, speaking of Apple and small caps, he says the two-day rate of change in Apple versus the IWM is 5%. It's the largest such move since January of last year, of 22. And over the last year, the only two periods that saw similar performance were in September and February of this year. He says the gap up puts it at the downtrend from the August highs, and he says it's going to back off from current levels. That's kind of what I'm saying, is that Apple is not what you necessarily want to be the marquee performer in a given day. I guess even when, maybe to your point too, even when you think you do, Right. Maybe you don't. That's right. <laughs> All right. Exactly. All right. I'll see you on the closing bell. All right. All right. That's uh, Mike Santoli. Grade My Trade is up next. You can send an email, halftime at CNBC.com or tweet us. We're back after this. Back with a news alert. Uh, Phil LeBeau has that for us on two airline stocks on the move. Phil, what's up? Take a look at JetBlue and Spirit. As expected, we are likely going to be hearing from the Department of Justice as it has been looking at this proposed merger and a decision, according to Bloomberg, is going to be coming as soon as tomorrow. It was expected as recently as last week, Scott. So we know that it's any day now that the DOJ is going to say we bless it. Yeah, we might bless it if there are some conditions met or we're going to full on sue to stop this merger. Uh, Many believe that the DOJ, given the Biden administration's stance on mergers and acquisitions, is likely to oppose this deal 100 percent. But that's unclear at this point. It may be that they say, "Okay, it can go through, but there are going to have to be some remedies. And remember, JetBlue has proposed that it will divest certain slots Uh, in the Northeast as part of uh, a deal going through. So it has made some, it has proposed some concessions as part of this deal, whether or not that's enough for the DOJ or if we're going to have a full-on suit to stop it, that remains to be seen. But that's the reason why you see shares of Spirit uh, down now about 6%. Scott? Yeah, one popping, one dropping. Phil, thank you. That's Phil LeBeau for us. Let's do Grade My Trade now. Uh, Surat, you go first, okay? Jason in Indiana added to J&J. Johnson & Johnson, 152 and a half. 
Great trade. I love this trade. Uh, I give you an A on this. The stock's down 12%. They're going to spin off their consumer business. You're getting a 3% dividend yield while you wait. And you've got two really good businesses that are going to be separated now. You've got an overhang on J&J right now with, with the lawsuit going on with Talcum Powder. But I, I, I really like this company's cheap valuation, good balance sheet, and, and a good uh, catalyst coming ahead. All right, Shan, to you uh, from Patrick. New positions in Accenture and Autodesk. Look, Garpy, to him. Uh, strong future prospects. Grade the trades, please. Uh, I'm going to give this a C because I like one of these and really dislike the other one. So Accenture um, is the A part of this trade, uh, long-term holding for us. They raise guidance based on improving mix, efficiency, and pricing. So you're not going to see a significant amount of multiple expansion here, but they're going to grow the bottom line, and, and that's why you want to be in this business. Autodesk, flip side of my equation. Um, don't like the company here. They've set some really lofty targets in 2020 and, and haven't come anywhere near those. Um, their multiple is a bit expensive and without management execution, um, I, don't, I, I wouldn't want to have a position right now in this stock. Okay, Joey, to you, Mitch in Florida, started buying Ulta a year ago, owned 75 shares, 25% gain in value. Should I trim, sell, hold, or buy more? What do you think? So they're reporting earnings, and I think built inherently within the question from Mitch is the subconscious answer that he knows. If you ask the question, should I be selling, in fact, that's exactly what you want to do. So you want to trim the position. You could do it in the options market. You could sell some covered calls, or you could just trim heading into the earnings report on Thursday. Okay. He just needed a little confirmation from, he need, he from need Joe a, T. He, he knows, he knows <laughs> what he wants right. to do. All right. Uh, Jason Snipe, Kareem, D.C., <laughs> Bought Amazon, $93, uh, March of 2020. Okay, stock doubled in 21. Now back to where I bought it three years ago. Uh, it's 3% of the portfolio. What do you do? Yeah, so this one, it looks like an obviously round trip for you. For me, I would be trimming this name. Obviously, there's been a secular shift from goods to services. Uh, there was a soft guide here. There's some deceleration with the juggernaut AWS. I would trim this name here. All right, good stuff. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. Hope you'll join me. Closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern. I mentioned a few moments ago, Jonathan Krinsky dropped a new note about where he thinks Apple can go from here and the significance of it to the overall move in the market. So he's going to join us right at the top of our program today. We'll talk about this breakout with uh, Jonathan Krinsky from BTIG, Adam Parker, Gabriela Santos are also going to be with me. So we're looking forward to that. I'll see all of you then. Uh, want to revisit a story we did at the top of our program, that experimental cholesterol drug from Merck getting a positive results from some data. Uh, that stock was at the highs of the day. It was certainly helping the overall performance of the Dow. There it is sitting right there, 3.5%. Uh, we bring it up again because, uh, Joe, right, you own Merck, a big position of yours. Yeah, I certainly. I mean, this, this has been the stock that I've talked about for the better part of the last 15 months. It's the stock that I have the most confidence in. And now you're getting a little bit of fundamental news to contribute yeah. to strong technicals. Yeah, look. Stocks like Merck, they're secular stories. We don't really have to worry about what the market's doing. So I like that story. You want to give me a final, Surat? Uh, American Express. I mean, you look at gas ABC. prices coming down, you look at consumer spending. They're going to do really well in this environment. All right. Joe T. 
just back to Twilio, make sure you size it small enough that you're able to incur a little volatility on the downside if it happens. Okay, or add more if it breaks out. Uh, Jason Snipe, what do you got? I like Netflix here. They're, they're trying to figure out this password cherry piece. I think it's an opportunity here. Mm. All right, we'll uh, keep watching that uh, up nicely today. How about you, Shan? Wrap it up. ICE, 50% of their revenue is recurring, and they continue to diversify. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. I'll see you on the bell. Exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.